From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you for joining us on the astronomy podcast, Space Nuts. My name's Andrew Dunkley, and with me, as always, is Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. Hey, Andrew. How are you going? I'm very well. And you? <laughs> yep. Still um, breathing, which is, you know, that's the first thing to check. Which is something uh, yeah. we can do on this planet, unlike We can us. do on this planet. That's <laughs> right. There yeah. are places where you can't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Now, we're uh, looking at a couple of uh, things today that are, are fascinating and one that's uh, very quirky that I'm sure a lot of people will know about. We'll get to that later. But first of all, we're going to talk about uh, a balloon that NASA will be launching in New Zealand, of all places, and they're going to try and learn as much as they can about high-energy cosmic rays. So, Fred, what do you know about high-energy cosmic rays? <laughs> Um, actually, probably not that much uh, <laughs> less than the, the experts, because nobody really knows much about them. Ah. Uh, just to just to clarify, Andrew, uh, that balloon has already been launched. In fact, oh, uh, okay. it was launched a few days ago successfully, and it, it is possible um, to track its progress. Uh, there is a website that allows you to see superimposed on a map of the southern hemisphere uh, this little wiggly red line, which is the the uh, progress of the balloon which will circumnavigate the Earth at least once and possibly twice. Right. Uh, so great stuff, yeah. Uh, we, we can certainly talk about that. <laughs> okay, um, uh, amongst other things. Well, let's let's just get straight into it. Let's, let's talk about the, the balloon launch. So uh, what is it? Well, it is something called a super pressure balloon. So this is not a hot air balloon. It's basically a helium balloon. Very uh, heavy lift is what we're uh, being told. Uh, it's in fact, I think the payload is something like two and a half tons that it has underneath it, wow. uh, which is quite astonishing. You know, you you think of uh, of balloons as um, as being things that uh, that 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 lift relatively. Uh, uh, really relatively lightweight loads. But this thing, uh, which was actually launched uh, last week, uh, is carrying, as I said, two and a half tonnes. And the uh, the payload, as exactly as we've said, is all about uh, high-energy cosmic rays. Let me just add, though, to that, that there is a, um, a subplot to this. In the, Apparently, the real reason <clears throat> for launching this balloon is to test out the technology. It's all about... Um, uh, testing, you know, the, the, these new generation of heavy lift, uh, high altitude balloons uh, to make sure that they have the, um, the basically that, that they've got everything right. Launching balloons, you know, we think of it, oh yeah, you just blow it up and send yeah, it off. Yeah, you just fill it with hot uh, air, and you know. But not when they're going up to 30 or 40 kilometers, which is the uh, basically the height that this balloon will go to. Mm. Um, when when a balloon goes up to that sort of height, when it's got 
a sort of um, you know a fixed amount of the, the gas within it that's going to lift it. Uh, they expand enormously, and this one will expand to be the size uh, of a football stadium. It, it's going to be very, very big. Is this and the sort of balloon that Felix Baumgartner used to get up so high and? That's right. It's actually, Jump. I think, it's, I, I think it's a high-tech version of of, uh, of the same sort of thing. Yes, he, I think he jumped from about thirty kilometres, yes. uh, if I remember rightly. Uh, so it, it it is a similar device, but of course it doesn't have the pressurised capsule underneath. It's got a a, a robotic uh, payload. Um, and what what is interesting about it is that a balloon that big. Uh, will actually be visible from the ground, even at 30 or 40 kilometres above the surface of the Earth. Uh, and it, it's uh, expected to uh, raise some eyebrows, uh, probably in, in South America, which it will get to first, uh, and then again perhaps in Southern Africa. And maybe by the time it gets uh, around to, uh, uh, to our longitudes again, uh, people might see it from Australia. So it's, it's worth keeping an eye out for something you know, bright in the sky that um, is a bit unexplained during the daylight sky. Yes, uh, we'll, so, it's something to keep an eye on literally, but also uh, looking at um, a couple of things with cosmic rays and the capacity to carry heavy payloads. Yeah, that's right. So just turning to the to the scientific payload, mm. um, high energy cosmic rays are really a mystery uh, in terms of where they originate from. So cosmic rays are subatomic particles that enter the atmosphere. Uh, and uh, we've known about them for at least 100 years. I, I do recall reading about early balloon experiments in the early part of the 20th century <clears throat> with people trying to, um, you know, take things called electroscopes up uh, into the upper atmosphere to see if they could detect these particles coming in. But the way the, um, the present experiment will find these things is that when uh, high, high energy subatomic particles, wherever they come from, when they hit the atmosphere, they actually interact with the nitrogen molecules in the air and they cause it to fluoresce. They cause the nitrogen molecules to, to light up, uh, but it's actually in ultraviolet light. It's not visible light. So this is uh, more violeter than violet light, if mm. I can put it that way. Um, and so the spacecraft or the, the balloon craft carries uh, ultraviolet detectors to sense the, the flashes that are going to come from these high energy cosmic rays. And it's by doing that and by analysing the ultraviolet that you can get an idea of the energy that the cosmic ray itself has when it hits the atmosphere. And that, people hope, will narrow down the possibilities as to where these things come from. Um, the uh, the origin, uh, as I said, the origin of the, the particles is, is an enormous mystery. Uh, people have speculated perhaps the black holes at the centres of galaxies are the, are the source of these things. Um, or or um, pulsating stars, these tiny neutron stars that spin very rapidly uh, and emit, uh, certainly emit pulses of radiation. But do they also emit subatomic particles? We don't know. Uh, so hopefully this will at least narrow down the possibilities, as well as demonstrating that balloons are, are, are a great way to get things into what you might call near-Earth space. Yes. And uh, ultimately, I suppose, if we can figure these cosmic rays, subatomic, uh, subatomic, Particles out will maybe answer other questions that we don't know uh, much about at the moment. It, it, that's that's always the way. You, you can bet your life that you know once they've narrowed down the possibilities for these subatomic uh, particles, there will be other questions that arise. Uh, that's 
the nature of science, the more questions you answer, the more you uncover, mm. which can be frustrating, but it is, it, it, you know, it's, it's enormous. Uh, it's enormously satisfying when you find the answer to a question. Well, we'll look back on this uh, again when they've got some data together that they've published which I guess will take a little while to analyse, but we'll, uh, we'll learn more soon, I hope. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Space Nuts. Next up, Fred, we're going to uh, look at the Cassini spacecraft, which has uh, been basically hanging around Saturn for quite some time, I think 13 years, if I recall, 20 years all up that it's been travelling. Uh, but we've reached a point where uh, it's about to run out of juice. So uh, in the uh, great tradition of astronomy, they're going to crash it into something, which I think is pretty <laughs> cool. But this is actually going to take a while. They're not just going to go wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, see you later. This is <laughs> this is going to take quite some months. Uh, in fact, until um, uh, September, which is when the final collision will take place. It's actually... Collision is probably the wrong word. What's going to happen to Cassini? Uh, and as you say, the reason for this is that it is indeed running out of fuel after its 20-year mission. Uh, what's going to happen is it will be plummeted into the cloud belts of Saturn. Um, Saturn's upper atmosphere, uh, of course, Saturn being a, a gas giant, it doesn't have a solid surface. So Cassini will plough into these upper layers of the atmosphere, gradually feeling increased pressure as it plummets in at round about 30 kilometres per second. Mm. Uh, and basically the friction will cause the spacecraft to heat up. Unlike re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, it won't burn up because there is no oxygen in, in Saturn's atmosphere. So Cassini will just melt and basically become a, a stream of, uh, well, liquid material as the friction heats it to, uh, heats the metal parts and all the other bits to, to their melting points and, and probably will indeed vaporise in the end because the temperatures will be so high. So that's uh, something to look forward to. So, so, essential, uh, so essentially, Fred, Cassini will be become part of Saturn's atmosphere. It, it will, that's right, it'll become part of Saturn, yes, wow. which is a rather nice thought, really. Yeah. Um, the spacecraft, of course, has done a marvellous job of uh, improving our understanding not only of the planet itself, but the ring system, and more especially the moons of Saturn, mm. which really, I think, is one of the most staggering achievements of, of the last uh, 30 years, that we've seen such wonderful images and information coming back from these moons. But what's now happening is the what's called the grand finale, so this mission started, I think it was the 26th of April, which is a few days ago as we're speaking now. Um, and the idea is that uh, Cassini would make 22 final orbits of Saturn, which are what are called polar orbits. So they, they, the, the spacecraft will go over the North Pole and over the South Pole as part of these orbits. But the daring bit is that the spacecraft will pass between the rings of Saturn and the planet itself. Wow. And that was, uh, nobody's done this before. And the reason's pretty obvious. That is that there's, there, there could be material in there that you could clout and uh, even, you know, a particle uh, the size of a pea would basically wipe out the spacecraft because of the velocity that it's moving at. Mm. Uh, so that has always been regarded as a high risk part of Saturn's environment. Uh, in the early stages of the mission, there was no question of, of going there because it would have been far too dangerous. But now we're, you know, all 
bets are off, really. You can uh, the, the mission has been such a tremendous success. You throw caution to the winds and do the daring things at the end. Yes. So the, the, the news that we have at the moment is that the first uh, of those um, daring <laughs> manoeuvres between Saturn's rings and the planet took place last week mm-hmm. um, with uh, complete success. The spacecraft emerged with no, um, you know, no apparent damage. There might well have been dings to the... Uh, to the antenna. There's, there's a large antenna, in fact, that uh, the spacecraft uses to, to transmit data back to Earth. Uh, what happened was that the spacecraft's orientation was changed so that the antenna was at the leading edge. In other words, the, the rest of the spacecraft was shielded by the antenna as it plummeted through the rings. That meant that it didn't actually have uh, uh, any contact with the Earth because the antenna was pointing in the wrong direction. Right. But that might have been a, a satisfactory manoeuvre. Sounds like it. Uh, uh, what have we seen? Well, we've seen extraordinary images of the, uh, the the polar vortex, Saturn's north pole, which has got this hurricane uh, going on, a very, very dark area of Saturn's north pole. There's close-ups of that, close-ups of the tops of the cloud belts. And the image that I just saw today, which I think was made during that same pass, shows uh, a tiny white dot uh, in between uh, some of the rings of Saturn, and that tiny white dot is the planet Earth. So um, this uh, really? this this mission has uh, achieved um, you know a, another uh, uh, another spectacular feat to image Earth in comparison with the rings of Saturn, and it is dwarfed by them basically. These these rings are enormous compared with the size of our planet. Of course, the planet's a billion and a half kilometers away as well, which tends to make it look a bit small. But this is great stuff. You and I will talk about this more. I'm sure in coming weeks uh, and um, the, the grand finale might turn out to reveal just more spectacular stuff that we didn't know about already. Yeah, and when you consider the change in technology from 20 years ago, it's it's still extraordinary that all these years later it's keeping up, it's doing um, what it was designed to do when we didn't have as much technology to work with. That's right. Yeah, it, it's you've got to take your hat off to the the mission planners and the, all the mission specialists. Carolyn Porco, she's the uh, the uh, imaging specialist. She has done a marvelous job over the last thirteen years, sending back the most remarkable images of the planet and its environment. It's fantastic stuff. And it's uh, I believe it's doing twenty two passes before they that's right do yeah. the big plummet so 21 to go 21 to go that's right <laughs> we'll, we'll certainly watch with interest and be uh, amazing to find out what they learn from these uh, these last daring uh, maneuvers uh, this is space nuts with fred watson and andrew dunkley what a matchup! And what a team, Mike! Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on our T-Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Space nuts. Finally, Fred, we're just going to have a bit of a, a bit of fun, a bit of tongue in cheek, because um, being this week that we're recording the podcast, and because this isn't a radio program and it doesn't get broadcast on a certain day at a certain time each week, people will hear this before, during, and after what we're going to talk about, and that is May the Fourth, Star Wars Day. I don't know who thought of the idea. Um, it was, you know, someone may may have said it out loud one day. May the Fourth. 
Oh, hang on a sec. Well, this is a good idea. May the fourth be with you, Star Wars Day. Somehow that's, I'm sure that's how it happened. I don't think it was planned and, and it took off, uh, just like Star Wars did in the 1970s, uh, 1978, 79, or thereabout, maybe sooner, 77. Um, and it's just been ongoing and uh, just continues to grow. I think there's been seven movies in the, in the franchise directly involved with the storyline and uh, a few fringe films, uh, the latest one being Rogue One, which uh, is probably the darkest of all the films, to be honest. But May the 4th, Fred, I mean, <laughs> it's just fun, isn't it? Well, I wonder whether um, the person who thought of uh, May the 4th be with you um, was somebody with a lisp. Um, <laughs> it's because, very possible. Uh, I, when I was a kid, um, here, here's a piece of information that you probably don't need. I had a lisp as well. Did you? <laughs> yeah, when I was a about lisp five with years Scottish old. accent. Uh, lisp, yeah. Uh, well, it was a North of England accent at the time. <laughs> um, but so I would have, um, I would have certainly said, "May the fourth be with you." <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. Um, my, uh, my. Uh, uh, let me put it this way: my engagement with Star Wars has been um, uh, sort of, sort of less than uh, complete. I've seen, I think, I've seen most of the movies, but mm. I've never sat down and and watched all of them in a row in order, as I believe you have. I, I have indeed, Fred. But yeah. now that Rogue <laughs> One has come out, it's messed me up because now I have to watch them all again and insert that between episodes oh, three and four i think that's where it goes so someone well, will correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure it goes <laughs> after episode three because we started with episode four i don't know why they started at episode four but they did and rogue one is set directly before episode four i'm pretty sure that's the way it pans out you don't you don't think they did it all this on the fly and just did whatever seemed like a good idea. I'm pretty and sure then they made did. It all, made it all fit together afterwards. Yes, I, th I think they did. Um, I've, I've loved Star Wars since the very beginning. I, yeah. I actually got to see it at the George Street Cinemas in Sydney and the queue went from the top deck down the stairs, out the door and down the street. I mean, it was just... <laughs> the, 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 the imaginations were captured immediately and it just kept on from there and they've just kept on making it. My only minor criticism of the whole franchise is they just overdid it with the characters sometimes. They just went a bit <laughs> burko with some of the the, the imagery, I, I guess, but that, that's the, the magic of it as well. But some of the, the, the character voices, like the, the, the race scene where they've got the double-headed commentator, it just sounded like someone calling the Kentucky Derby. It just <laughs> it drove me nuts. <laughs> but overall, just a brilliant concept and uh, an amazing story. And, uh, yeah, we should celebrate it. We should celebrate yeah, we should, it. And, and yeah. in true Australian tradition, Fred, I reckon we, we should have a public holiday on May the 4th. <laughs> now you're talking. Well, um, I'll leave that to you uh, to put to the politicians. But meanwhile, when you sit down and watch the revised version of the whole series, all I can say is may the 4th be with you. Yes, indeed, Fred. And, and <laughs> um, to our New Zealand friends who live in the land of the long white cloud, we are forever lobbying to be known as the land of the long weekend. So, yes, <laughs> that's right. May the 4th is a good excuse. Fred, <laughs> as always, a great pleasure. Thank and you good for to talk joining to you too. Yeah. And we will catch you next time on Space Nuts. Take care.
Sounds great. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, and you've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast, which you can catch on just about every podcast platform on the planet, or even off the planet for that matter. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook. And Stuart Gary uh, is uh, the other um, uh, podcast you should uh, check out, part of our stable with Space Time. Stuart uh, does more of a, a news report type of approach to astronomy, but uh, he knows his stuff and... Uh, you can uh, catch him online as well. Until next week, thank you for listening to Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.